Sauce Talk is a show that has flair. If you listen you're quite debonair. Topics may be whack. But you'll never talk smack. On this app the guest is Uber. Happy listening. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back yet again. It's going to be another great episode of Sauce Talk, and there's just one reason why. On the other line, it's Mike Huber. How are you doing, Mike? Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How are you? Oh, doing well, hanging in. Um, no reason to, to, to fuck around here at the top. Hey, Mike, eat anything good lately? Yeah, I ma- I've, I've made something good lately. Ooh. I um, So I, I started following the... Um, New York Times cook NYT cooking on Instagram and um, have been and then so if something looks good you know I'll like go through this three-step process to be able to actually access the recipe Um, because like I I'm I'm not logged in on Instagram so I have to then you know go to open it and then go to uh, Safari and then go to the app (laughs) Um, but I and I do feel like Cooking, like cooking seriously, essentially for the first time using NYT cooking is like the most basic ass way to like learn how to cook. But so I'll own that. Um, but they had this shrimp and leek soup Ooh. Uh, that I made. I, I had never, um, I don't know if I've ever eaten a leek before, but I never cooked with them before. And they're like a great onion replacement, sort of. Um, and there were, um, there was, you, the uh, shrimp was cooked with a few seasons, but the main thing was paprika. Um, and then you set it aside and then you like cook the leeks and some of the other vegetables and then put the shrimp back in. Um, and it was, it was phenomenal. And it made me realize I should be cooking shrimp more often. Because it cooks really fast, it's really easy, and um, I don't think I'd ever cooked with. I think the only time I'd cooked with shrimp before was a recipe that we got from Margaret's dad, which involves dicing an onion, peeling a pound of shrimp, putting those into a pot, and then pouring a beer into the pot and boiling the beer until it all boils away, and then you eat the leftovers over rice, which is excellent, but it. I think that's the only thing shrimp thing I'd made before. So I need to make shrimp more often and I need to make it with paprika more often because that was just phenomenal. It's not something I really ever use. So it's good. It, it sounds fantastic. I am with you on basically all aspects of this. Uh, I don't, it sounds like you need to streamline your New York Times cooking experience. Yeah. I feel like there's yeah. got to be some way to align things here, but, um, I use that as well, and it's especially it's very much designed for like I have I have an iPad, and it's got like the little stand thing on it, and it's the really big type on the screen there. So you just kind of set that up in the kitchen, and it's just follow through the recipe like you say. They're very very simple. I made a broccoli cheese soup off of that recently, and it was very good. And similarly, this was not in the recipe, but my standard is I add smoked paprika to basically everything and so i dumped a bunch of smoked paprika in there and it was really good i um, think that's a good rule of thumb it, it's it's very tasty and it's if i'm if i'm making something and that wouldn't be a good addition i probably shouldn't be making it to begin with because okay. i probably won't <laughs> like it very much that's right so the, the, the broccoli cheddar soup is that that's on i'll just search for that probably i could probably find that yep because yep. you know i went to subway as listeners of this podcast, well, no, I'm married to someone who's a big fan of Subway's broccoli cheddar soup. I made a Subway run like last weekend or the weekend before for lunch and ordered our sandwiches and said, oh, and I'd also like a thing of uh, bro- of your broccoli soup. And the lady behind the counter just looked at me and shook her head. <laughs> I, 
I said, do you, you don't have the soup? And she said, close her eyes, said no. And I was like, uh, and I just, I don't know, it's sort of like put off a little bit, not offended, not in the sense of offended, but just like, what, am, what, why is this so weighty for her, you know? And uh, I yeah. said, so I would, so I, so then I was like, oh, COVID. And she said, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was so weird, but it, it had some import to it, you know? I'm glad it was that. I thought it was going to be like COVID. And she's like, no, it sucks. <laughs> we just, it's not good soup, so we don't make it anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think, do you think that the broccoli supply lines to Subway are, have been torn down by the pandemic or are there certain Maybe. health concerns that, like, Part of the recipe requires them to sneeze into the soup, and they're not supposed to do that right now, so they had to put off making it. Well, I mean, they say that you know the supply chain is is very fragile, and you know, I don't know. Maybe there's something with the the cheddar coming from wherever that comes from. I don't know. Like we have to devote all of our uh, cheese resources to the sandwiches themselves. Nothing can be diverted to these bogus <laughs> soups we sell three cups right. of a year. Because, like, there are places, like, there's a, um, uh organic, like, fancy grocery store in our neighborhood that had, before this, would always have free coffee. And it was really, really good coffee. Highlight of it. The, the, one of the, um, liquor store doesn't do it justice. It's a wine store. And then, like, a nice place in the neighborhood. They would also have, like, free coffee. And, you know, and grocery stores have, like, taken away free samples and stuff. But, like, Subway didn't, like, redesign how they have all that stuff laid out. And so, like, w- there's no difference. It's just as exposed, and they should still have their soup. It sounds like a lawsuit. I think you deserve some <laughs> unlimited free broccoli soup. That's right. Um, as far as your actual, the, the dish you prepared, it, it does sound really good. I don't think that I've had necessarily shrimp and leeks together before but i i'm i'm very intrigued i am also with you i don't think I, i've made like i don't think i've ever actually cooked shrimp i unless you count like heating up the frozen popcorn shrimp things right. i've done that but i don't know that i've ever done it now i perhaps have less reason to stretch and start to, uh cooking shrimp since I live in the exact center of the country and maybe I won't like the shrimps I'm getting that way but especially where you're located it seems very easy to say I'm just gonna get these amazing shrimps and have a great time with them yeah but I mean I went to a giant and got what they had you know the easy peel shrimp and 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 next thing I make is going to be from a bag of frozen so you know I don't it's nothing special um I'm sure that I'm sure there's some hookup somewhere with really good fresh shrimp, but that's not what I'm that's not what I'm going for. That's fair. Or availing myself of, you know. You can, you can work up to that. Um, in Alton, Illinois. You've have you heard of Fast Eddie's in Alton? Sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. It's it's like famous enough to where like that wasn't a stupid question okay. that I asked. Like um but he's got some connect where he gets frozen. He gets like not. I think it's never frozen shrimp flown in, like by the like ton or something. Wow. Um, and it's 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 from the Gulf of Mexico. It's like very very fresh. Um, and he said, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with his business with COVID now. But they, it's like this extremely busy, really large, like basically roadhouse type bar. In, in Alton, and um, they sell like shrimp. Like you can get like a, a tray of shrimp. It's it's really cheap. It's all like a loss leader just to get people to keep keep uh, drinking booze, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think that's pro like it's probably. But just by pure volume, he's able to like bring it in like direct, and it's like probably fresher than like what I'm. It's almost certainly fresher than what I'm getting, and it's plop in the middle of the country too. So it sounds like I should just find some connection, have somebody start yeah. airmailing shrimp from the Gulf of Mexico to me. That's right. Uh, Mike, it's time for our next segment, and this is much more 
uh, aligned to just letting you run with things. I hear you have some sort of bicycle scheme that you're planning yeah. to uh, get going here. So we've, we've been talking about supply chains, logistics. We've been talking about how they've been disrupted with, uh, with the current pandemic. And um, one of the, one of the casualties of that is bicycles. Apparently there is a worldwide bicycle shortage. And I think it's like a combination of the, um, uh, like, you know, surge in interest in bikes with everyone home and, and wanting, you know, socially distanced, safe, fun activities to do. Um, But then also some, you know, some crucial parts for, for bicycles are manufactured in China and when they shut down all industrial production uh, at the beginning of this year, that apparently has created some like backlogs. And, and so you can't get bikes like anywhere, uh, new bikes anywhere. Um, so I've been like trolling Facebook looking for a bike for myself. Um, and I found one that was in like, I don't know, some kind of 80s, like, you know, road bike, racing bikes sort of thing. And it was fine. Um, I've since realized that the pedal falls off, and I don't think it's fixable. Um, but uh, and but then, so, and because I wasn't super happy with that, that part of the bicycle experience, I've been continuing to look on Craigslist, and, I, and occasionally I'll come across a bike that just feels like too low, you know, because like, I think you got people who clearly want to like make money selling their bikes. And then you still got people who are just trying to like clear out their basement. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to catch those people and then I'm going to flip the bikes for a lot of money. And so far I've purchased one bike for $75 and it's a really nice looking like vintage road bike. And I'm confident that I'm going to be able to sell it for 200, 250 bucks. Now I have been riding it regularly, which might cause a problem for this. And I think it needs new tires. And I don't know anything about bikes, but I think I'm onto something. I'm going to use that, invest the profits, just keep this thing going. If this works, this will be a profoundly inefficient market you have found here given your uh, seeming extreme lack of bicycle knowledge mm-hmm. like if you are able to do this just like ah, it seems like that should be for more and yeah. then you sell it and then also you ride the bike around for a while and then you sell it at a substantial profit like what could an actual super knowledgeable bike person right. do? Right. like they should be able to make insanity margins yeah so I'm not saying, honestly, though, this is one of those things where it's all just happening so quickly. And there's people, as you say, with wildly different incentives here. And there, are probably, there are probably other people like you who are honestly just looking for deals, either for their own purpose or to resell. But like you say, there's still people entering, like, I'm cleaned out my garage or whatever. I don't want this stupid bicycle. I'm excited that I will be able to get it away and not have to pay right. the trash man to take it. Right. Um, do you think that it would be, how many bikes do you think it would be good to do this with at any given time? How far are you going to try to stay, you know, the first one pays for the next one and in a line or could you see like expanding? Well, one, one of the problems I'm facing is that I only have one extra one. Cause remember all this started cause I want to ride a bike. So we, we got to keep, keep one bike here for me. And then, that, so I have one extra one. So then my, I have an inventory of one, and things are getting a little crowded already. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it so might be, yeah, a, it might be one. That is a cha- what we will call a a, cha- a headwind uh, for the for the you know next quarter. Um, haven't figured out the solution to that yet. There is a storage facility. In it right behind my house. So, you know, could take excess inventory over there once I start to acquire it, if I start to acquire it. So, I guess some of it would just be based on you'd have, if you found an incredibly good deal you didn't want to wait on. 
Yeah. It would be, it would be worthwhile right. to pursue that. How right. about this? Why don't you sell your shitty bike with the broken pedal? Thought about it. And I, th- I think that's a good idea. Um, and then I'm going to have to ask myself, do I, do I really want to just use these profits? And clearly there will be profits to get myself a nicer bike. That it could be that maybe you're doing that thing where the guy who sold a paperclip on eBay and then kept reselling it until he had like a house and you're <laughs> yes. just, I don't know. Although I guess the upside of that is what do you, do you end up with like a motorcycle? What is the best possible version of a bike? I guess it's like a, a moped. A moped. Or an e-bike. I guess they're e-bikes. These things called e-bikes now, which I don't really know, but they, I think, it, I imagine it's sort of like the the bike version of those scooters. Um, But I would just want to, I just would want a bike that the pedals don't, like the, the, the gear doesn't fall off. The gear love, is also falling off? No, I just mean like the different parts. Oh, okay. You want a bike that it's just one piece instead of more than one piece and you yeah. have to hold some of them on. Yeah. Do you think, how much How much did you pay for your initial bike? The one with the 200, well, he was asking 260 and I got him, I went in there and started haggling and got him down to 240. <laughs> what, man, I, I underestimated your business savvy now that I yeah. know you got what three percent knocked off this bike That's yeah i'm very sure. impressive yeah so yeah. i take it back when i say this is a easy this is a could be a difficult market um do you do you think the guy fucked you do you think he knew the pedal was broken i don't think so now is that just because you're a nice guy and you wouldn't do that to somebody <laughs> now on the other hand, it does sound like you're contemplating selling this bike is it going to come with a disclosure about the pedal i have Given that a little thought, I haven't made up my mind. I, I have, I think, I think I'm going to try and jam it back on there. I was, I was, I think as a compromise, you jam it back on and you put a bunch of duct tape on there to hold it on. So, so yeah. So, and it's so then it's all, it, it will, it will work. But it also, you're kind of on notice when you're taking a look over right. your bike that like most bikes do not have a bunch of duct tape uh, on one of the pedals, keeping it in place. That may be an added feature here, but probably not. I think that's I think that's a really good idea. That's why that's why you got to consult with your legal counsel before the, you know before the you do these deals. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, you now owe me ten percent of the twenty dollars you knocked off of that <laughs> other guy. Okay, I believe that. And, and the, but you don't. I don't owe you any portion of the loss you have suffered so far <laughs> in buying bicycles and not selling them in your terrible business. Right. <laughs> Uh, I would consider. I think you need. I think this is an okay plan, but I want. I worry that you're going to get bit. That the the bicycle market is going to heat up. Either new ones coming in or people seeing this. I don't think you have time to mess around. I think you need to get. I think you need to sell both these bikes, unless you really want to keep the seventy five dollar one you got. That's true. I think that the broken pedal bike needs to be out the door in a couple days. Yeah. I bet you're right. And then there's going to be like a whole bunch of people selling their bikes. Like this winter, there's going to be a ton of people selling those bikes they bought this summer and, and this spring and summer. Realize they rode once. Um, they don't want to bring it in the house. They don't yeah. want whatever, whatever their living right. situation is. It's just going to suck. They've Maybe they got it you know, locked up outside and now it's snowing and right. they're going to lose their bike otherwise. And I should start hoarding those that I find on Craigslist for the next pandemic. Now, we got to get you a better storage system than pay someone to store it. Yeah, it's true. It goes, that eats into the overhead. Yeah. What? Let's see. I mean, I guess during the rest of the year, couldn't you just, when it's not winter, couldn't you just have them locked up all over town? You could. I actually, when I lived in Chicago, this is this maybe, no, it's not the stupidest thing I've ever done by a long shot. But one of the, one of the, just the like most inexplicable things that I did in my twenties was like, I locked my bike. I think I rode my bike to the, to the, to the L, the California blue line stop, locked it up, went to work. And then left it there 
just walked like walking right past it almost every day. Left it there all winter, and just and it just the destroy the bike just was destroyed. Like I just couldn't be bothered to uh, and and like I wanted to say I lost. I must have lost the key, you know. Mm-hmm. That's not true because then I, I definitely unlocked it and used the lock on the the next bike that I bought. <laughs> I just did. I just left it there and like would walk right past. Like, oh, I can't be bothered with that or something. I don't know. I can't remember like what. Did you not like to ride the bike during the winter to this? Like, is that why I you just didn't... walked it home? Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I don't, so that's my only hang up with that. You know that you are in, (laughs) your history reflects you are bad at handling it if you have a bike (laughs) locked up somewhere. Yes. So it's not necessarily, you don't trust yourself to handle it well if you've got like, I'm thinking like you've got 15 bikes out there at any one time. And that would be convenient too is somebody wants to buy it. You're like, you keep like a map on your phone and you're like, oh yeah, that's over it. 37th and North Street, and then you just go meet the person. They don't even have to find out where you live. You just meet them there, walk up, unlock the bike, and say, what do you think? And then they can look at it and be like, what's up with this pedal? And you're like, don't fucking worry about it. That's what's up with that pedal. Um, I don't... I'm not the most confident you're going to make a lot of money doing this, but I do think it's 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 possible that it's there. I'm going yeah. to revise down. I'm going to say... Then I'm going to try to make enough money to have like a decent start toward a legitimately nice bike. And I don't mean like a, you know, $3,000, you know, triathlon bike or something, you know, like a few hundred dollar bike that's not going to, that the pedals aren't going to fall off. That seems very reasonable. Like according to what you you figured here, it sounds like you're going to be more than halfway, like close to halfway there maybe. If you can sell this one bike the way you think you can sell it. Yeah. Turn which 75 on, into 200. Which is based only on a gut feeling. And, and the fact that I, I mean, my, I paid $240 for some shitty bike. Yeah, your bike's <laughs> falling apart. You paid that. So why can't I get, you know, about the same? Now, you're going to have, you know, some assholes out there probably want to haggle with you, lower the price. Yeah. So you have to price everything accordingly, but, knowing they're going to want to bring it down. That's true. That's true. Um, another, so you think about like the way the money comes in, the money goes out. It seems like you could make a lot more money if you didn't do the part at the beginning where you paid someone money for their bike. Like you could just start stealing bikes. It's a really strong point. Um, and also if you do, if you get into this and you do it a lot, isn't it like eventually you're just going to be buying like also, do you think it's probably likely if somebody's like, I just got to get rid of this bike fast, 60 bucks. That sounds like a stolen bike. It does. Do you think you're mostly going to be trafficking in stolen bikes? I might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if I don't have any, any like reason to know, you know, motivated seller, extremely out, out, outlandishly low prices. Maybe they got evicted. Maybe they're about to get evicted. Moratorium come to an end. Uh, somebody stole Gina's bike. Oh, really? Off, it was it was not locked, but it was. We, I live in a duplex, and there's like the entryway thing, and it was inside that entryway, which is oh. like a closed door, but that front door isn't locked. And so uh, my theory is, uh, we get us and our neighbors, we get a lot of packages. I'm very suspicious that somebody delivering something was like, oh, there's a bike in here. Yeah. And it was it was a nice bike um, that I also purchased. Well, we purchased, uh, used. So maybe this can be like a to catch a predator sting operation. And someone will move that bike to Baltimore <laughs> and you can find it online and buy it and track them down for me. What kind of bike was it? Is it? Uh, it's a Trex, T-R-E-X, I think. I don't know very much about bikes either, but I also, yeah. yeah. But you was like bronzy slash dull gold colored. It's probably only like one of those out there in the world. So if you see one like that, that's probably it. I'll alert the authorities. Yeah. I think you might be the authorities, though. I don't know if you got anybody to alert. 
Um, I think this has been an enormously successful segment. Is there any, any other closing thoughts? What's that? A lot. And I feel like my business is going to be stronger for it. This, maybe this is, maybe this show should just be shark tank and like, but not like, like I don't have any money, so you can't come on and get me to give you money. It's just, I tell you whether or not I think you'll make any money and then you get to go see if I'm right. Do you want to buy a bike though? I will give you $200,000 for 20% of one bike, <laughs> but you have to pay me royalties every time I ride it as an incentive okay. for me to use it a lot. I'm not comfortable with this arrangement. For that reason, Mike is out. Um, I think it's time for our next segment. Mike, what sauce are you bringing to the table this week? So I'm bringing... Um, well, actually, I don't really know. We need to talk it through a little bit. So... Okay. Are ses- sesame noodles with, you know, with peanut butter... Like, is that set? Is that are you? Is sesame the sauce, or is like the sesame peanut butter combination the sauce? Hmm, it's an interesting question. I think once it goes, I think once the peanut butter goes on there and kind of melts and everything a little bit, I think it's all the sauce then. Well, that's I think what I'm sesame's bringing. part of the sauce. That's what I'm bringing. Margaret made those, just kind of like whipped them up. They were they were fine. Then they sat in the refrigerator for like 24 hours. And then I literally took a bite and said, oh, fuck yes. Like out loud with no one around. Um, so that's what I'm bringing today. So especially given those circumstances where it was really after – everything got to work together. That, I think that only more strongly supports our idea that the sauce is everything. Yeah. Oh, so good. And it always is. Like, even, like, if it's, like, some pre-made thing or, like, you know, at the supermarket um, or, you know, carry out from a restaurant or whatever. Uh, always good. And apparently pretty easy to make. Um. This is becoming a recurring question I ask during this segment, but I always I like to the name all the episodes after the sauce. What how would you describe? What would you, what would you call this sauce in the title? Sesame noodles sauce. Sesame noodle sauce. Okay. And do you do you think it's possible to get a like a recipe? How do you think Margaret whipped this up, or is this just literally a, she's throwing stuff in and it turned out real good? I think she consulted like a couple different um, recipes, and and then just went from there. I don't really know what she did. Fair. That, that again, though, only it's a, a stronger case for this being a unique sauce and a special one. Yeah, it makes it an especially good sauce to bring to the table. Uh, could you conceive of trying to make something like this sauce on something besides those noodles? Do you think it would translate? Or do you think this is very much limited to that dish? I think it has to be like a long. It has to be like a long noodle. Like a long round, it can't be like feta. I don't think it doesn't feel like it should be fettuccine. It just won't turn into the right. You won't get that experience after a day or whatever. That's yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I could see it maybe on like egg noodles. Okay. But I think I think I just egg everything's good on it. Egg noodles are great. It's true. Um. But this feels like a long noodle situation, exclusively a long noodle situation. I just like what do you do penne with peanut butter and sesame sauce? Seems weird. Yeah, or like bow tie noodles. <clears throat> yeah, I can't. I can't. I, I don't. Do you, now this is a thing where like the the smart Italian people are like honestly all the different noodles are made that way because there's something special that they'll be able to do with some sauce. Right. And it's not just we thought it would be funny if one of them was a bow tie. It's like, no, the bow tie can do this that right. the 
other thing can't do. Right. So I guess maybe it is just legit that we've just you just found the place this goes and that's the end of the conversation. It might be. And I also and I think it has to be like a substantial noodle to like really absorb like the heavy peanut butter, you know? It can't mm-hmm. be like ramen uh or like angel hair or something like that. Do you do you eat much angel hair? Not much. I sort of think it's it's I I I, I don't know. It, Whatever specific thing that calls for angel hair, like you're just talking about, I don't know what that is. I haven't found what that is yet. So, so I'm I'm trying to give angel hair the benefit of the doubt, but I don't. Do you? No, not at all. I just, especially with the sort of sauces and stuff I tend to make, I just like that. What you're you're saying that about how you need something thicker and bigger that will hold up to it, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe if you're just like literally putting like butter and olive oil on it it can handle it yeah but like anything more than that if there's other stuff in it i just don't think it does anything no i am going to search angel hair on the nyt cooking website probably after this after this uh podcast and see um see what comes up but it's just no i mean i would but i've only recently like kind of come back to appreciate just like spaghetti Mm-hmm. Which, um, you know, I I don't know. I just sort of was just sort of there, but like with a, a good like basic red sauce, um, or like a olive oil and and um, uh, cheese, like a very simple like olive oil and cheese sauce. Like spaghetti is is great. Um, spaghetti linguine is great for for those. You don't need you know. You don't have to always go for the penne or the fettuccine. Um, that's what I've learned in my thirties. Uh, how much do you think this conversation will get us yelled at by Bill? <laughs> I hope a lot. Probably a lot, right? It's so, but if it's so great, Bill could have taught us about this years ago. He didn't. Yeah. So, in a lot of ways, it's on him. Anything we said wrong is Bill's fault. That's right. Not teaching us already. But also, this is a learning opportunity. He can teach us now. That's right. I also don't accept that I pronounced any of these wrong. Um, so just spare, just spare me, Bill. He'll he'll teach you about how you got to say fetishite and everything else is a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> um, I think this will tie in very closely. Our next segment, our biggest segment of the episode, is I was thinking I had a weird craving for. The uh, the orange drink we used to get with our school lunches on Wednesdays as an option. And I just have been thinking about school lunches, good and bad. Do you have a favorable opinion in general? Did you enjoy your school lunches growing up or was it always a nightmare? Where were you on that? So, he, I mean, obviously going back far enough it gets sort of fuzzy but as i remember it in elementary school so up through fifth grade you you didn't want to bring your own lunch you or you didn't want to eat school lunch you wanted to you wanted to pack your own lunch okay school lunch box you get a little older you go out of the lunch box you have a you know brown paper bag <clears throat> um you know days like my mom's running late or forgot or whatever. Then you go stand in the lunch line and it's like not good. Now there are a couple exceptions like taco day or whatever, but overall, like you don't at at my school or, or maybe just it was like even more idiosyncratic. My, my brother and I didn't want to, but then middle school, you did want, you did not want to bring your own lunch. Um, and some of that probably had to do with because that's how you did it in elementary school. Some of it, I think, had to do with like they, the food was a lot junkier in the middle school. Okay, it was like fries and burgers and stuff like every day, and chips and stuff. Um, and then high school, the first year of high school, we had we could leave for lunch, and so obviously we were going to get fast food. Um, 
or what I did like for an entire semester, go to Walgreens and get a bag of Doritos and a box of, of, uh, Mike and Ike's. <laughs> um, and sit in the parking lot and eat, eat like the, the Walgreens parking lot and eat them. But then my either like sophomore year or junior year, they closed the campus. And then so we had to start eating in the cafeteria. Um, and I never ever, I almost never brought my lunch. The only time I would bring my lunch was, um, uh, one semester I had a photography class junior year, um, right, right before or right after my lunch hour. And I would get passes to go, um, just like be like get a, a hall pass from her and to go take pictures for the yearbook. Um, but then there, she, there would never be any follow up, like where are those pictures that you were supposed to take. <laughs> we'd like, you know, we'd just wander around, like get to leave campus, stuff like that. And then I would always bring my lunch so I could eat it. And then I wouldn't have to be burdened during that, like fuck around time mm-hmm. actually eating. So I eat it. Like I'd like bring my lunch, eat it like 1030 and then spend like 11 to one, just gone. Because the photography class, you could then extend your time, like, oh, I'm still taking pictures for the yearbook. And then you wouldn't have to go. It was the most amazing experience. It was great. That is the thing I, I think about a lot, how, like, I I was the editor of the yearbook my senior year. And that <clears> just <throat> entitles you to, like, an enormous amount of free <laughs> reign to just go, do, like, I got to do something. And like, I remember one time the school got a new sign to put in front of the high school that said like, welcome to Avon High School. And then we wanted to do some like landscaping around it. And then the yearbook teacher was like, this is, we're going to get a bunch of, this will probably be like in the front entry, like the first page of the yearbook will probably be this nice new sign and the landscaping should be good. So how about we take a day and me and you will go look at rocks. And we I took a day off of school. And we just went to this place to find rocks to put around the thing. I, did, I missed all my classes. That's amazing. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was very fun. And there's a picture in the yearbook of me and the teacher looking at rocks. So it, <laughs> we had to get somebody else to take it. But So we got everything. It, it's, it's, it was, it, it, I guess it was legit in the end. But just the idea, like the yearbook seems like such a small thing. But it's like, oh, well, this is it's it's like like you say, it's just the instant like get out of jail. Like, no, here's the your book. I'm gone. Don't even ask yeah. me. I can't yeah. take the test that day. Your book stuff is happening. <laughs> Please have someone else take the ACT for me. I have to do your book stuff then. That's right. Um, back- so I guess so. The answer to your question is it depends, but I have very fond memories of some school lunches, though. That's for sure. So it sounds like. You had so some of this obviously is just like your tastes change and what's yeah. cool changes, but it also sounds like you had pretty different. Would you say that the actual food in the cafeteria was substantially different in different schools? Yeah, very, very much so. That is not a thing I considered at all because I only had cafeteria, there's only one cafeteria in Avon, so like the great, there's the great, the grade school parking lot, small parking lot, and then the high school and the junior high. And like the high school and the junior high, if you want the school lunch, you walk over into the grade school and that's where the cafeteria is. Okay. And so it was always the same place. Um, But we still had similar patterns where when I was in elementary school, it was overwhelmingly everybody ate the school lunch. And then in, I'd say, middle school, it became a bit of a split. And then in high school, it was uncommon for people to want to eat the school lunch i still did me and my friends did but we were like weird that we went over and ate the school lunch and then came back almost everybody just went to this commons area and then ate their from home lunches there Uh um but i generally had a very unfavorable view of the school lunches i don't know i guess this speaks ill of me that I also ate them consistently throughout this entire period, even as everyone else stopped. I did not dislike them enough to stop eating them. There were a handful of ones that were good. So let's let's get into that. You specifically mentioned the tacos already. What kind of tacos are we tacoing about here? 
<laughs> Good one. Yeah. I mean, like hard shell, ground beef, uh, lettuce, cheese, maybe tomatoes or something. Um, nothing fancy. Um, I'm trying to think like what else was considered. Well, I think they. No, I can't really remember. Well, they would like very occasionally have like bre- breakfast for lunch, and that was like you just would lose your mind. That was the best. <laughs> um, just incredible. Uh, you know, and like I think it's like a comedy cliche, but the pizza was terrible. Like the cafeteria pizza was like rectangular and terrible. Um, we had two different pizzas. I, I, initially, we just had the rectangle pizza. But then at some point, they were like, we need to have pizza more often at school because these kids are getting too healthy. And so then we had pizza. And I think the other one was either it was just called taco pizza, but it was like not really a taco pizza at all. I think it had like cheddar cheese on it instead of mozzarella. But otherwise, I don't know what really would have made of that. But it was an octagon and it didn't fit into the space like it was too big to go in, in the tray so it had to sit on top of it and it wouldn't stay oh, so they were always falling on the floor yeah uh both but but again both those pizzas very bad nobody yeah nobody was excited for those you know they'd have kids of like chicken fried steak which was gross um, salisbury steak yep definitely salisbury steak and yeah, and I can't really remember. I can't remember much else, but I am now remembering. I, I bet this is they would have the whole month laid out, and so you knew what they were going to have. So then I, I, I feel like we would occasionally pack our lunch like in anticipation of not wanting to have something bad. I would definitely do that. My ultimate least favorite was the tuna salad. Uh, I was not a tuna salad kid anyway, but then this was an especially noxious version of tuna salad. And so I just would absolutely not eat it. And then I remember if you, when you got it, you got this little ice cream scoop, a tuna salad, and you got a little thing of club crackers. And Mm. I really liked club crackers. So I would always, if I, if I did not succeed in packing a lunch, I would ask for no tuna, but I do want the crackers. Yeah. And so that would be the only thing in like the main section of my tray, which would be very sad. Club crackers are the best. I recently discovered multigrain club crackers, which are, I'm probably just a phase, but even better than. Really? Yeah. They're so good. Let me make a note there. I have not, I've seen them, but I thought I'd kind of turn my nose at them. If they're bigger, that's amazing. Don't accidentally get reduced fat, though, because those suck. <laughs> um, another highlight, but weird thing looking back, was uh, I really liked the school's chili. It was not in, even slightly spicy at all, because obviously they're selling it to, giving it to little kids and stuff. We're not going to, but I remember thinking it was really good, but there were obviously there was like lots of commonalities on the menu, certain trends you would pick up over your years of going over there. One of them was any day we had uh chili, we also had chocolate cake. So I guess looking, this is like the laziest one where it's like, let's just make five cakes and a giant vat of chili and we all get the yeah. day off. <laughs> uh, but it was extremely common for people to put their chocolate cake in the chili. What? Really? Yeah. I always thought that was gross and I did not do it. But I would ask, like, my memory of it is basically everybody would eat like half the chili and then just put the entire slice of iced chocolate cake into it and then mash it up and then eat the chili with the chocolate. I guess that's probably like, that's probably like very Mexican. You're getting all your flavors here, doing all your smoky chocolate stuff. But it was really weird. I thought, and looking, I was like, one of those things I thought about it now, I was like, yeah, that was really weird. Why did that happen? It's so concerning to me. It's like you're taking the bet, like the the best of both and just negating it. Yeah, and I I, I really liked that uh, chocolate cake. <laughs> yeah. So it does seem like, man, you're not School improving the chocolate cake. Awesome. Yeah. We also had really good cinnamon rolls, but they were, they were very rare 
because apparently somebody had to come in at like five in the morning to start them. And so yeah. you'd only get them like through like once a quarter or something. But they were like the thing that they was somebody's special recipe. And whenever they like you'd hear like substitute teachers would make jokes about like, I found out when the next uh, <laughs> uh, day is. So that's why I'm here today. I wanted to be a sub today because I'm getting these cinnamon rolls, that sort of thing. They were very popular. Um, this is related. Did you, so when I was in school, I remember we had to go to, a, like, and as we were little, you'd have like your milk break at the end of the day or whenever, somewhere in the middle of the day, you have milk break, right? Yeah. And That's so familiar. what's that? That sounds familiar, but I feel like maybe only in kindergarten. I think for us, it was up through like third grade or something. Okay. And there, there was some deal where, like, if you were a little older, one of your, like, everybody had to, like, do things to help out. And one of the things, like, you just have a week where you're on milk duty, which meant you had to go and get milk for the little kids in the school and have it in the fridge for them. Hmm. So when you when it was your week to be on milk duty, you had to go into the kitchen and go into the freezer and get like the things of milk and like the right amount for the kids and then put them on like a hand truck and take them down the hall all the way to the, cause the little kids can't go in the cooler. And then there'd be like this weird closet area that had a fridge in it and you could put the milk in there and then you just leave the hand truck. And then the kids would come in at like one o'clock in the afternoon or whatever, and they'd go get their milk. And this was a popular thing. And then, but what reminded me of this was I remembered the other day that later when I was, and this was like right around when I was, I bet right after I graduated, maybe the next year, uh, somebody, the superintendent went into the room, the closet with the milk and the uh, school secretary was blowing the PE teacher. And so, like, it's a great story. And, of course, they were both married to other people, and it was a big mess. Uh -huh. um, but I always loved so much. The first off, it, nine, I feel like 90% of the people who went into this room were little kids going in to get their milk, which right. is not great. But also, like, if you're in this, if you're trying to, like, get away with doing this bad thing, the best thing that could happen is it's thank God it's just a little kid. And so I'm sure the door opened. And they thought, oh, God, some little kid's going to see us. And instead, it was the superintendent ready yeah. to start firing people. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. Wouldn't the teacher have like a like a closet with like to store, you oh, know, the I'm sure. Yeah. Where all the dodgeballs are and stuff. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't go in there. Yeah. He probably has a lock for that door. Unlike this, which is just people coming and going, honestly, pretty frequently. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, so bad times for those people, but, and I get, and the, I mean, it's, it's good that some little kid didn't have to go in there and get confused and that these people got to, they probably just would have kept doing it. And instead superintendent's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> this is a pretty open and shut case. Um, do we have any other, Oh, no. Did you have, did you have the weird orange drink? It doesn't sound familiar. I I mean, I remember like, you know, little cartons of milk. Yep. And that's what I usually had. Um, and occasionally like, like a juice, but I don't, I don't know about the orange drink. This, it came now, is this different than like that orange, that orange soda they had at McDonald's? It is different than that. That stuff's way better. This stuff was just the worst version of everything. It came in a carton like the milk, and it it wasn't orange. It wasn't just orange juice. It had other stuff in it too, but it was not. It was intended to be relatively healthy, so it wasn't like high C orange or whatever like you'd get at yeah. McDonald's that you would actually like. It's like what if something was worse for you than orange juice and tasted worse than orange juice or orange soda or anything you'd like to have. <laughs> and so I always thought it just tasted like skunked orange juice or something. It was just, I don't know. Some of it might've been the packaging as well. I hated that stuff. And I, if my memory is correct on Wednesdays, 
That it might have been maybe like instead of chocolate milk, they had that. And I always wanted the chocolate milk. Yeah. So on, on Wednesdays, I know I was I was deprived of. It, it could be that everybody just got the orange thing on Wednesdays. But either way, I did not. I didn't. I didn't like the being forced the orange drink. But I always no. Got it. Sounds disgusting. I do like that orange soda, or did at McDonald's. I'd sort of forgotten about that. Yeah, I wonder, that's. Why do they still serve that? I don't think they. I think they just have orange soda. Which like Sunkist so, or something, or like no, I mean, uh, what do they call it? Squirt. No, there's sun. There's Sunkist orange, isn't there? That's isn't what I that? thought. Yeah, there's Diet Sunkist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's others, obviously, but yeah. Um, one other thing. So you know how you had to go get rid of your tray at the end? And you, like, at least in my school, you could kind of see back where they were washing trays uh-huh. and stuff. And they had the big sprayer thing for spraying tons of stuff at once. And they had the huge like dryer thing for putting all the trays in. And you could seal it and it would steam everything inside. Yep. Um, when I was a janitor, I always thought that stuff was cool. And yeah. when I was, I, when I was like, after my junior year of high school, I got a summer job as a janitor at the high school and like cleaning everything up. And we, that was a really bad job. And, uh, but one of the things I did was we were always having trouble, uh, successfully cleaning box fans. Because they would just not have been cleaned the entire school year, and they were disgusting. Yeah. So one year, and we had to like disassemble them to try to clean them. And so one time, I disassembled like ten at once and took all the stuff, all the parts into the kitchen, and then used all that stuff and uh-huh. put it in the steamer and shut the thing and let it run. And it must have used like a hundred gallons of ten thousand degree water, and it didn't do a very good job. Oh, so that's I could not possibly justify doing it. I also did not like get permission to start experimenting <laughs> with stuff like this, but I, I just I thought it'd be cool, and I also thought it might do a good job, and it was cool. I did not do a good job. Now, have you ever worked as a dishwasher? Uh, like, no. Well, I mean that's your whole job is just like operating those two pieces of equipment, and it's great. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, you know, I don't think I'd want to be doing it now. Really, mostly because you just have to stand for so long. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, you know, you're just sending stuff through that big steaming uh, dishwasher and, and using that hose to get the tough stuff off. And it, I, 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 every time I've worked as a dishwasher, I've, I've really liked it. Just got to stay on top of things, keep it moving. And I did always seem to be like, they're always like hectic going really fast yeah. back then. You can't take breaks. You know, and yeah, like and job day later, and you know, yeah. But. I think that's everything. I think that's everything about school lunches. Are there any? Are there any meals? Any snacks? Anything like that that we missed? Um, can't think of anything. I mean, by the time um, I got to middle school, it was like. We would just eat fry, like get two orders of French fries and just eat <laughs> and a Coke. It's a, they shouldn't let you do that. I don't know if they even do, but they shouldn't let kids do, like sixth graders make those decisions. Yeah. Um, so, I have one more I thought of. We also had totally closed campus for lunch. Nobody could leave. And, it was, that didn't happen until I was in like seventh grade, obviously for high school. And so like, I never had the, uh, open lunch. And, but when I was in like seventh grade, they did still have open lunch and then, uh, very limited options in Avon. And so people would like walk to the gas station or walk to the Casey's or I think if you planned or there was yeah. like one restaurant in Avon at the time. And I think if you planned it right, you could like call them. And I think that was part of it. I think you were not allowed to drive anywhere, but you could walk okay. wherever you wanted. And I think if you planned it right, you could call the restaurant and have them start your order and then walk there and get it and walk back. And that would be and like you basically need to eat it on the way back, but you could make that work. Yeah. yeah. And so people would do all those things. And then one day uh, there was apparently some ongoing dispute between a bunch of kids 
from Avon and a bunch of kids from Galesburg. And so I get maybe they maybe in Galesburg they had a slightly earlier lunch or something. But a bunch of kids from Galesburg uh, drove down to Avon and kicked the shit out of all the Avon kids who were walking around. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I believe it was like targeted properly. It was like we got to get that guy. They 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 got him, and then that was immediately the end of uh, <clears throat> uh, the open lunch program. Shame. Probably for the best. One of the things that stung so much when they closed our campus is like we, there were a ton of places to like a, to walk. Uh, there was like a, a Chinese carryout that was like two blocks from the school, but there's Dairy Queen, a Jack in the Box, a Hardee's, wow, um, the Walgreens that I mentioned. Um, I'm trying to think. I think that's it, and then a couple other like convenience stores. So you, there were there were a ton a, sub, a, a subway. So there were a ton of options, um, and it was it was awesome. I'd never, I mean, until my freshman year, I'd never had like any of the hot the um, hot treats that they or hot eats at Dairy Queen, um, and that's how I learned that they actually their burgers were really good. They um, are. Yeah, then they took it away from us. <laughs> Uh, I, although you say that, I'm pretty sure you said you mostly ate Mike and Ike's for lunch during this period. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that that only makes that decision more confounding now that yeah. you, know, you had all these other options. Yeah. Um, when this will be the last thing for me. When I was in like let's say fourth grade, we all, we always had really bad cheeseburgers for lunch and they're like obviously very frozen and processed and gross yeah. and everything and people swore that they were secretly soy burgers hmm. uh which just be i think it's just because they kind of had a chewy texture yeah but it's weird looking back it was always specifically soy burgers which is like a weird phrase and also, I think it doesn't make any. I think that that would, especially in that period, would undoubtedly have been more expensive yeah. than the lowest low grade beef stuff. And then the idea that they wouldn't tell anybody, and it'd be a secret. I really think that some of this was like animus on the part of dairy farmers in Avon, <laughs> who were yeah. like telling their kids that that that's Farmer part of the spirit. Yeah. yeah, that's why that's why these cattle head prices keep going down. Is the damn schools <laughs> won't buy up our shitty beef. <laughs> Because otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know why people would be so adamant. But people are like, "Oh yeah, these are these are soy burgers." Yeah, I don't think they were soy burgers. And like back then, there's no way you couldn't tell. Oh right? yeah, absolutely. Like these were bad, but they were they were still just like I know what a bad cheeseburger looks like. It looks like this. Um, I think that's going to bring us to the end. Mike Huber, do you have anything you'd like to plug? So I I should I've been thinking. Throughout the course of this, trying to think of it. Um, have I talked uh, about the book Say Say Nothing, about the IRA? Hmm, I'm not sure. I'd well, say, say, say you haven't. I'm if, halfway, if you have, you clearly need to plug it again because it didn't stick. I'm halfway through it. It's a, it's a book that came out, I think, last year, written um, by a staff writer at The New Yorker about... Um, like Northern Ireland and the the IRA, and it's the sort the narrative is like framed around the disappearance of this one woman, but it it really goes through following um a few people through a lot of like the the worst of the troubles like in the seventies and eighties, and it seems as though like I'm about like I said I'm halfway through. It's about to start telling the story of like the peace process. Um, which is something I know essentially nothing about. Um, but it turns out I don't know, I knew essentially nothing about any of this stuff and like just how bad it was, just how intense the fighting got. Um, some of the like historical antecedents to all this stuff. Um, and it's, and the book is, is written like, uh, like almost like a thriller. Um, it's really good and I can't, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's great. If 
you and I have not spoken about this before. I've definitely heard something about this somewhere. When you said that about the missing woman, I was like, oh, yeah. I feel this like is, maybe I've talked about it. It could be that. Yeah. But either way, it sounds really good. I, I certainly wasn't drawn in enough to acquire it until now, but now I will. It, sound, it sounds fantastic. And then did I talk? And then I, I know I talked about that lunches with Orson thing, right? Yes. Yeah. Still haven't read it. I'm saving it. I read like the first three pages. I was like, I'm not going to read this thing. I'm going to wait until <laughs> the moment is right until I can enjoy it. Well, if you need something to tide you over until the moment is right, uh, my plug is I started reading last night uh, Spoon River Anthology. You ever oh, read Spoon I, River Anthology? I like some here and there. But I, like that's like all, that's from your neck of the woods, right? It is very much from my neck of the woods. Um, it is base. It's, it's set in Spoon River, which is not an actual town, but is basically uh, an actual river. Uh, it, it is an actual river. Yeah, it is. Um, it is set in what's essentially Lewiston, Illinois, uh, which is the county seat of Fulton County, the county where I am from. I used to do spelling bees in. Uh, school the county spelling bee was always at the county fair uh fair uh courthouse in lewiston so that was always a big exciting thing when i got to go to the courthouse and see all that stuff that's most like not a lot going on in lewiston otherwise it's a very small town but uh i i'm liking it a lot it's way more engaging and fun than i thought it would be uh there especially there's, there's a lot of sequences where the it's, it's if, if anyone doesn't know, it's basically a bunch of poems that are all kind of like epitaphs for dead people in the cemetery in this town. And I love the extent to which they refer to one another. And sometimes this happens and sometimes it doesn't. But some, some many of them are just one off. But then some of them are like someone tells their story. And the next person's like, yeah, that guy who that last guy was a shithead. He sucked. Oh, that's don't, cool. don't worry about him. And then there's there's one that's really tragic. This guy talks about how his wife uh, ruined his life and he wasted his life because of her. And then the next one is her telling the exact same story, but in the inverse, that oh, okay. he ruined her life and they just hate each other. And it's it's just it's often is the case when I read stuff that wasn't written, like, say, in my lifetime. I just always assumed that people who came before me were very dull and uninteresting and not lively. And that just isn't the case at all. And there were yeah. really interesting, funny things going on. And they had really so many of these concepts that I think are so incredible that I came up with. I was talking about exactly the same stuff back then. But it's a, it's a weird experience. Like I remember reading uh, the can like some portions of the Canterbury Tales, like probably for a class or something. And there's like one of the one of the tales is like about someone like shitting out of a window and it's like old for laughs and stuff like that. And it's like very and there are parts that are really sexually explicit and stuff. And it's just like I don't know how many times you have to like relearn that like this idea that we get more and more interesting and like more and more like loose with these mores is just not true. But like I will never learn. I will never internalize that that at all. It's it's a good it's a good thing to at least try to remind yourself of I think. So does it feel like back home? Like does it feel like familiar? Like like was Edgar Lee Masters from that part of the country? He is from Lewiston. He did, okay. of course, as so many people do. He was a wanted to be a successful writer, so he grew up and moved to Chicago. Um, but yeah, he 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 was he grew up there. Apparently, I, I read the Wikipedia page for the book today, and it said that the book was. Banned in the school library in Lewiston until 1974. Oh, really? Because uh, apparently a lot of the people in the book are based on real people he knew. Oh, and wow. Sometimes it's very obvious. And so I guess a lot of people in the town were very upset and huh. thought that he was airing their dirty laundry in his successful publication. Uh, but that just seems like a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also, just for fun... I have made a list of the five best people named Edgar. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Uh, Edgar Lee Masters, Edgar Allan Poe, Edgar Martinez, Edgar Wright, and uh, the guy in the Edgar suit in Men in Black. <laughs> is, there, is there anybody I'm missing? 
Uh, uh, no, I almost said Edgar Hopper, but it's Edward Hopper. Um, yeah, this list does not include people whose names are not Edgar, so that wouldn't be a good one. <laughs> um, there are no Edgars at all, good or bad, coming to mind. Yeah, it's. I think it's a. I think it's a good name. Maybe underused. I like Edgar. Yeah, I thought I, I couldn't think of many others. Uh, more baseball players, <laughs> but <laughs> I feel like we, we, Edgar Martinez is a really good one baseball player, and we don't yeah. need five baseball players on our list. Um, I think I think those are the Edgars. Yeah, I certainly can't think. I certainly cannot think of any other Edgars. I feel like there's like someone. I bet you there's like some cartoon, some character named after Edgar, like, like, and it, named sort of after Edgar Allan Poe, like, in a Tim Burton movie or something like that. But I can't. And no, I don't. I'm not thinking of Edgar Scissorhands. I mean, <laughs> I bet I was just a hunch, but no. Edgar the Horrible is my favorite Viking cartoon. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's all we've got. Mike, thank you so much for being on the program this week. Thanks, John. It was so fun. Had a good time. Best wishes in the interview. Today.